If you would, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to James chapter 5. And we'll be in James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. This morning as we come to the final verses of this letter. We began our service this morning as you joined in doing, gladly singing the words of come thou fount of every blessing. Now you remember, even as you sang, the words of that last verse, prone to wonder, or wander, Lord I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Now, of course, many of you know the story behind that song, and I've even shared it up here with you in other sermons and times. And how ironic, though, those words are within that song, because the author of the song, Robert Robinson, at one point did indeed wander. Now, we don't know the extent of the wandering. We know some about his life and so on. We don't know if he wandered ultimately or wandered ultimately until the very end. But either way, his words ring true though. Because we feel it too, right? We feel that sense, that pull, that temptation to wander. And so what are we to do when it's not a wandering that happens in theory, but happens among us? Even God forbid that one day it happens to you or one of you here. Well, James, as we have seen throughout the entirety of the letter, is an immensely practical letter. I think every one of you, hopefully, at this point, would be able to say, yes, it is a very practical letter. And so he ends along those same lines here in the final verses of this letter. He ends practically. And he ends concerned for you and that your faith would continue on until the very end. Until you go home to go on to be with the Lord. And so to see this, let's read here in James, beginning with verse 19. May the Lord plant the truth deep within us this morning. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, And someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, as we come to these final words of this letter, we come honestly saying this letter has challenged us, right? Amen. (laughs) 
It has challenged us, and indeed it has challenged us really at every turn from the beginning of the letter until now, until the end of the letter here. And so we have not only seen, but we have felt command after command after command in this letter with this letter having more imperative verbs than any other New Testament letter in our Bibles. And I pray, as we have walked through all of those, one by one, that you have leaned into that. That you haven't said, no way, (laughs) I'm still just going to do what I want to do. But rather... It has been my prayer, knowing that as we're going to get into this book, as we started it, that James is going to come in and be like a bull and just keep on going all the way to these last verses. And so it has been my prayer that you wouldn't just get up and say, no way, but rather you would lean right into it and say, yes, may it be. And it's been my prayer that you have not taken each command as you've heard it as merely a command from James, though he wrote this, but that you would receive it as a command from God. For your good, for the good of Christ's church, and for God's glory. And so in these final verses... James ends his letter differently than most New Testament letters. Just like James has kind of done throughout the letter. So aside from 1 John, most of the New Testament letters, if you've read your Bibles, you know this as well, most of them end with some sort of kind of final greeting. You know, greet those and so on. But that's not the way that James ends here. He does not give a final greeting. Rather, as he ends and as he has done throughout the letter, he gives a final exhortation to close off the letter. No greetings whatsoever. He gives you another command right in line with the way he's done. And so it's unanticipated, yet it's very, very fitting. And so he ends by having us consider the terrible reality of wandering. The terrible reality of wandering. Now, all around us, this temptation is there. Anywhere you go, you will encounter it. Not like if now, it is definitely you will encounter it. Whether you go to a store and you're kind of looking around, and as you go through the checkout, what will be there? All sorts of things that will tempt you to wander. Whether it be your tummy. <laughs> I have kids, so if you're like, your tummy, what are you talking about? That's, that's where I'm coming from. Or it be you lust. Or even you pick up your phone, even for a moment, and there comes the temptation along multiple fronts to wander. And it's almost like 
again and again, we're just bid to come with this kind of thing that comes to us and just says, come on, you know, just, just do it. You know, just one small step off the path. It won't hurt you. I mean, you have been so faithful over all these years. I mean, when people look at you, what do they think of? They think faithful. And so no one's going to know. Hey, if it bothers you that you're stepping off the path, you can just step right back on it again. I mean, just step off for a second and then come right back on. I mean, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. And keep going just as though nothing happened whatsoever. I mean, what could it really hurt after all? And isn't that kind of how it goes? In that inner conversation that goes on, maybe even in just a few seconds, all this happens. Yet wandering is just that. It's wandering. (laughs) One step might not seem like a lot at first, but just how quickly it just so often just leads right on to the next and the next and the next and the next. And how quickly it just gets so out of hand. You know, recently I read somewhere that if a jet flying at high speeds, I'll let you think of how fast it may have been going, but if it flies at high speeds... For an hour, if it's even one degree off, after an hour, it would be off course by 500 miles. How quickly one small step can lead to such great wandering, to such great disaster in our lives. And so let's ask that question. What could it hurt? (laughs) Well, it could hurt a lot. (laughs) It never appears that way at the moment. It never will. I mean, it'll always look like, this isn't that bad. You know, I mean, if you just turn it just this right angle, it really isn't. You know, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why this seems reasonable. Maybe I should do this. But friends... It could hurt, and it does hurt much, and it does hurt many, and not just others, but it hurts you. So considering, consider then what wandering means. What's happening when you wander. Wandering means that you have been deceived. Deceived. The word James uses here in these verses for wander in verse 19, it literally means being led astray. It means someone who is deceived. They are off track. Now, if you remember from verses 13 through 18 that we walked through over the last few 
weeks, James was starting to bring this letter to a conclusion by ending where he began. Well, what do I mean? Well, he, he was bringing us back to similar themes that we saw where? In chapter 1. And many of those I didn't even bring out. But themes like trials and suffering, God's purposes, joy, prayer, the prayer of doubt, the prayer of faith. Or even you go back at the beginning of chapter 5, rich and poor. That was in chapter 1 as well, wasn't it? And so he is doing here in these last verses and verses 19 and 20 as well. He's bringing back to our minds how he began. And so he's, he's ending bringing the panorama of many of the themes of this book and emphases before us as he's bringing this letter to a close. Now you'll remember the words that David read a moment ago from chapter 1. There is a path that temptation travels from sin all the way to death. And with it, built into all of that is what? One word, deception. Deception. This is why James warned us in chapter 1, verse 16, with the same Greek word that we have here in chapter 5, verses 19 through 20, when he uses that word wander, same Greek word, 116, do not be deceived. Same word, my beloved brothers. The wanderer is deceived. They aren't seeing rightly. They have been fooled. They have believed all sorts of false things. False things about God. False things about the Bible. False things about themselves. False things about life. False things about family. False things about marriage. False things about children. False things about relationships. False things about work, money, and just all sorts of things. That can be under that area of deception. And now they're off the right path and they're on a wrong one. So, again, make no mistake about this they are deceived. They are deceived. And also, along with that, with them being deceived, wandering means that you have sinned. Wandering means you have sinned. So in other words, it's not innocent. It's sin against God and very likely, and more often than not, includes sin against others as well. And this is why James, he says in verse 20a and b, it's a sinner we're bringing back from their wandering. 
So sin and its enticements are part and parcel to wandering. Now, very practically, when you meet this person, or maybe it's not even that, maybe you are the one wandering. Maybe this morning you are here and you already know that your heart's starting to wander. And so maybe it's you. But as you meet this person, so often what you will find, if you are that person in your own life, or if you're meeting this person, is that their sin may well be dressed very, very nicely. That it may just look like it's all just fine. Clothed with all sorts of niceties. It might even seem like nothing's amiss. This is why, in part, sometimes when there is someone who is wandering with the church, and then one of us go after them, sometimes the members of the church or others in the church are like, what? I mean, they're a good person. I don't understand why, why would you go after them like this. I mean, they seem like they're just fine. It's because they have this kind of demeanor, this facade of niceties there. However, when the wandering is exposed, it comes out very quickly that all is not well. Now, something you need to know, and again, I'm talking in very practical terms here. When the wanderer's sin is exposed, like you are going after them, you, not me. I mean, I will, and I have, and I do. But I'm talking about you. They might argue with you. They might defend their sin. They might blame shift. They might turn it on you and your many sins. How can you come to me? What about this? You know, what about you? I know you do this. Right? Or they might even give a point-by-point case for why they are doing just fine. Like they may have a whole system of like logical premises and conclusions and they may have it all put together and then they present that to you. And this is why I'm living this way. Now, what you need to know about what's going on there is that all of that is just smoke screens. They are defending and protecting their sin. All those logical reasons. And the farther the, farther the wandering, often the deeper the falsities will go. Yet for you and me right now, maybe for you here, if you are the wanderer, you need to know the main reason you wander and people wander is you or them. The main reason you wander is you. Now that's not something 
you like to hear, is it? <laughs> like, don't tell me it's me, Pastor. <laughs> I mean, well, the thing is, is I'm actually not telling you. James is telling you it's you. God is the one telling you the reason that you're wandering is you. And really, this is nothing new to James either. This is why we need to hear this and see it again and again and again, right? We've already heard this before, right? I mean, it seems like perhaps maybe that God really wants us to know this. To see again what James was saying back in James chapter 1, verse 14, when he said, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So behind your wandering is you. Don't, don't blame me, don't blame your family. Don't blame your upbringing. And certainly don't blame God. Much of our screaming and hollering and bucking and kicking come down to needing to examine ourselves on two fronts. One, what do you believe? So as you're wandering or whatever, you're believing something about why you think it's okay to go and wander. About God, about the Bible, about your family, about gender, about sexuality, about your work, about ethics. You're believing something. So what do you believe in two? What's going on in your heart? What's going on in your heart? There are desires there. You want whatever it is that you're wandering from the Lord and the gospel and his word. You want something and you want it bad. You want that affair. You want that money. You want that job. You want to be the boss. You want to be in control. You don't want anyone to tell you what to do. Which leads us to see something else that you need to know. The main thing that you wander from is the truth. The main thing that you wander from is the truth. Verse 19, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, Again, we see James connecting this to chapter 1, where he said in James chapter 1, verse 18, that David read a moment ago, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So here and now the wanderer is wandering away from the truth wandering away from the gospel, wandering away from God's word, from revelation. It's not that there isn't an alternative truth available. Like here's 
the truth, the Bible, and here's another one. You just choose which one you want to go with. That's not the case. In in our day, we are living in a world where we're breathing the air of postmodernism, where everything is subjective. Even in this service, all of us are dealing with emotions. You may be saying, well, that's awfully heady. I don't feel like I like this sermon. (laughs) So therefore, I don't like this sermon. What's the greater thing? Your feelings. And we don't say, well, I think this is the case. What do we say today? I just feel like, I just feel like that is not, we don't give reasons anymore. We say, I just feel like it's just, it's because we're breathing in the air of subjectivism. Your truth, my truth. But friends, there is the truth. And you can't escape it, even in subjectivism. I believe this of me. That seems to be a statement you're making. Is there any truth to that? So it's not that the wanderer here is taking a stand for truth by wandering. And we need to get that in our day as our culture is challenging all of these things. It's not that when we say, you know, we're not going to believe what the Bible says on marriage or gender or sexuality and all these things, that when we go away from what the Bible says, we're not taking a stand for truth. We are wandering from it. But that is one of the series of arguments that you will face in chasing and pursuing after the wanderer. They're not taking a stand for truth. Rather, they are taking a stand against it. Now, as you hear all this, <clears throat> it's important at this point to stop and to ask ourselves a question. Right now, with everything we just saw about the wanderer, deceived, sinner, and so on, Now, what is your view of the wanderer after hearing all this? And I'll ask you, how are you feeling about him? (laughs) Are you angry with him? Maybe you're standing like this, right? No. Standing over them in judgment, perhaps? Are you wanting to show them just how wrong they are? Or wait until I go after you. I'm going to prove you wrong. <laughs> you know? What are you thinking right now about this person? Friends, that's not that's not the way we're to be about this person, this wanderer. Now, I'm not saying you may not have hurt feelings. That happens. 
is standing over them. That's not to be our heart. That's not to be our disposition toward the wanderer. Rather, we need to see the second part of these verses. We need to see the great compassion of pursuing. The great compassion of pursuing. Now, highlight that word, compassion. Underline it. Eat it up. Take it into your heart. And I mean that with everything I can muster. Why? Because we so often tend to that other side, right? We tend to a disposition of judgment, of self-righteousness, of a holier-than-thou mentality. But friends, that is not to be us. Our disposition is to be a gospel disposition. Do you not remember how God so pursued after you? Which is what he did. Do you remember that? Would any one of you be here right now? outside of God pursuing after you. In grace, in mercy, in love, in the glorious reality that he sent his son into the world to come and die for your sins. And to take your judgment upon himself. That, my friends, is pursuing (laughs) I know I wouldn't be here. And so what are we to do? We are to take on his disposition. We are to take on the disposition of the grace-grounded, compassion-filled pursuer. And so pursuing means you go after You go after them. We're not looking on and shaking our heads. It's not time for gossip in our home groups. And here's a prayer request I have for you. Let me tell you about it. It is a time to go after them. When you see someone off of the path and caught in the thorns and thistles of their wanderings, when you see them being wounded and cut and torn apart, lost in the thick of their sin, you go after them and you go after them with all your heart. All the while, even as I have done, even done recently. Lord, please, I plead with you, bring them back. Help me bring them back. 
that's our heart for the wanderer. You don't stand by and do nothing. You go after them. Just like God went after you. And so pursuing is about going after them. And pursuing is about bringing them back. It's about bringing them back. Note the words here that James uses at the end of verse 19 and in verse 20. The words someone and whoever. Those two. If someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Now, who is that? Who is the someone and who is the whoever? It's the pastor, of course, right? <laughs> well, it includes him, but it's not mainly talking about him or them. It's you. All of you. It's you. None of you are exempt from this. It's the body of Christ. You are God's ordained means of bringing back the wanderer from their wandering. So it's you. And it's bringing them back, but back to what, right? Now, This is an important distinction that we need to make here. And I mean that. We need to be very clear on what we're bringing them back to. You're not pursuing them because they've wandered from a cultural standard. And I wonder, W-O-N-D-E-R, how many of us actually can make those distinctions. Or we're just going right along with them, saying, well, here's the culture standard. It's right there with the Bible. They're the same. We need to be so careful of doing that. Because so often that is exactly not the case. So we're not bringing them back to a cultural standard. We're not bringing them back to your opinion. Well, this is the way my family did it. So they're not doing that, so therefore they are sinning. What? <laughs> really? We're not bringing them back to your rules and to the manners that you have created within your home, within your family, within your church, or so on. It is vital that you and I are aware of this distinction. How many times we might well be going to someone who is not wandering. how greatly we might be weighing others down with burdens and sins that are not burdens and sins at all. What they're doing is they're going beyond us. They're going 
beyond our opinions and our rules and our manners and our ways. Friends, that is not wandering. How careful you and I need to be of this. Of such as these, Jesus said in Matthew 23, 4, which I'll leave it to you to look up who he's talking about. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. We're not bringing wanderers back to our standards. We're bringing them back by the grace of God to the truth, to the gospel, to what has been revealed. And so they're heading off a chasm and we go after them with all hearts. We don't watch them go and do nothing. And as you hear that, make no mistake here either. It is a chasm that they are heading towards. Really. Like, there they go. And if we don't pursue them, they may well go off of it. And this is why James says, when you pursue them, you will save his soul from death. How the Bible is just going and correcting the way we view so many things in popular Christianity today, isn't it? I mean, we have all these views of things, but then the Bible comes along and says, well, sorry, that's not true to what God has actually said. So James, and I'll talk more about that in a second, but James is applying here what he said in, John, in James 1, 15. We just keep seeing one, chapter 1 again and again. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth the word. We see here, death. James is right on track with everything he's been saying throughout this letter. No contradiction whatsoever. And so it saves them from death in the sense that those who truly know Christ will endure to the end. This is why Paul, he says, in Colossians chapter 1, there's a number of other places. We'll only look at a few or one in this regard. He says in Colossians 1, 21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And here it is. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. 
Now, there's no contradiction here with justification by faith, eternal security, the perseverance of the saints. No qualms whatsoever, theologically. Are you there? (laughs) You ought to be, because it's right there. It's in James as well. Let me say this more clearly. Those who know him will continue in the faith. That's part of justification, sanctification, glorification. It's part of that. Yes, you will wrestle with yourself. I will wrestle with myself in great ways, significant ways, or even in the case of the wanderer here. They're wrestling with themselves. They're going off, even like David, perhaps, like King David did. But when we go after them, whether it comes quickly or it comes after a time, if they are really believers, they will repent. They will return. They will continue, as Paul says in Colossians 1, they will continue in the faith. No contradiction. The true believer has an unbreakable golden chain around them. And no one and nothing is able to break it off. Such that when you, as a believer in Christ, of the body of Christ, you go and pursue them with all you are, fighting for them. Going after them in the thick of the thorns and thistles. They come to their senses. And they see the peril they're in. And they are brought back to the truth. Now you may have gotten a little bit confused there in regard to what are you talking about? Golden chain? You mean like we all have like this golden chain, like an invisible golden chain around us? What is that about? No, I'm not, I don't mean that, like there's an invisible golden chain around us. What I'm talking about is the golden chain of Romans 8, chapter, chapter 8, verse 30. It's called the golden chain of salvation. It says this, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, there's not ever a point in the true believer's life where God will fail. God never fails to accomplish his purposes and plans. Those whom he chose before the foundation of the world, whom he called, whom he justified, He also glorified. I just repeated Romans 8.30. That means it is done. If you know Christ, and if you have put your faith in Christ, God is faithful. He is not a liar. And He keeps His children until the very end. No one will snatch them from My hand. John 10, 
And as you hear all of that, as part of that, part of all that, He has ordained the means of that too, which is our pursuing after one another when or if we wander. So we see what we see here. God calls you to pursue. He's calling you and I to pursue the wander. And we're to do that not with arms crossed and self-righteous judgment, but with hearts full of gospel-centered mercy. And that heart is exactly the heart we have seen in the letter of James as well. (laughs) Let me show you. James 1.27 Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. We see them in their need. and We don't go, nope. We go, yes, I'm going to help them in any way I can because I'm about a gospel-filled mercy throughout the nations. James 2.13 For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James 3, 17 through 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so it is with a gospel-centered mercy by faith, not in yourself, not in your words, not in your abilities, not in your knowledge. We go, you go, and we pursue after the wanderer. And so, by faith, live out that faith by going and pursuing those wandering from the faith. This is James's final word of his letter. For your faith, that you might live out a genuine faith, which has been his theme, and that you may live it out in Christ, and such that if you wander from that faith, that we would live out the faith as the body of Christ and go and pursue after you. As we finish this letter this morning, let me close by asking you a few questions. Have you leaned into all that God has said to you in this letter? 
have you? Have you leaned into what God has said to you this morning? Have you taken up his words, not in theory, but in truth? Because that is what James is after. He wants every area of your life defined by Christ. So have you taken up these words from this letter? And if you have not, will you? Will you take them up this morning? Will you and will we go on and live out this faith? Will we go on and be transformed by this gospel? Will we go on and live out a faith that is not dead, friends, but is alive and it's a, li- it's a living and it's abounding, not because of us, but because Christ is our living and breathing Savior. So will you take up God's words in this letter. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we come humbled by these words, seeing much area of need within ourselves. And that's really where we need to end. But as a church, as we hear this on the Lord's Day, may we take this up as a church. May we take up these words and pursue after the wanderer. May we take up these words of the entirety of the letter of James. May we not be okay with a facade sort of Christianity. But may we be about in truth, following Christ, regardless of the cost, regardless of the risk, regardless of how much the world may require of us. May we say always to you, yes, Lord. And so may it be that we would respond this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.